0: Part 1 of The Ambulance Made Two Trips. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Chenever. The Ambulance Made Two Trips by Murray Leinster. Part 1 detective sergeant fitzgerald found a package before his door that morning along with the milk he took it inside and opened it it was a remarkably fine meerschaum pipe such as the sergeant had longed irrationally to own for many years there was no message with it nor any card he swore bitterly on his way to headquarters he stopped in at the orphanage where he usually left such gifts On other occasions he had left scotch, a fly-rod, sets of very expensive dry flies, and dozens of pairs of silk socks. The female head of the orphanage accepted the gift with gratitude. I don't suppose, said Fitzgerald morbidly, that any of your kids will smoke this pipe, but I want to be rid of it and for somebody to know. He paused. Are you getting many other gifts on this order from other cops like you used to? The head of the orphanage admitted that the total had dropped off. Fitzgerald went on his way, brooding. He'd been getting anonymous gifts like this ever since Big Jake Connors moved into town with bright ideas. Big Jake denied that he was the generous party. He expressed complete ignorance. But Detective Sergeant Fitzgerald knew better. The gifts were having their effect upon the force. There was a police lieutenant whose wife had received a mink stole out of thin air and didn't speak to her husband for ten days when he gave it to the community drive. He wouldn't do a thing like that again. There was another sergeant, not Fitzgerald, who'd found a set of four new white-wall tires on his doorstep and was ostracized by his teenage offspring when he turned them in to the police lost and found fitzgerald gave his gifts to the orphanage with a fine disregard of their inappropriateness but he gloomily suspected that a great many of his friends were weakening the presents weren't bribes big jake not only didn't ask acknowledgments of them he denied that he was the giver but inevitably the recipients of bounty with the morning milk felt less indignation about what Big Jake was doing and wasn't getting caught at. At headquarters, Detective Sergeant Fitzgerald found a memo. A memo was routine, but the contents of this one were remarkable. He scowled at it. He made phone calls, checking up on the more unlikely parts of it. Then he went to make the regular investigation. When he reached his destination he found it an unpretentious frame building with a sign outside, Elite Cleaners and Dyers. There were no plate-glass windows. There was nothing show-off about it. It was just a medium sized modestly up-to-date establishment to which lesser tailoring shops would send work for wholesale treatment. From some place in the back puffs of steam shot out at irregular intervals. Somebody worked a steam presser on garments of one sort or another. There was a rumbling hum as of an oversized washing machine in operation. All seemed tranquil. The detective went to the door. Inside there was that peculiar professional cleaning fluid smell, which is not as alarming as gasoline or carbon tetrachloride, but nevertheless discourages the idea of striking a match. In the outer office a man wrote placidly on one blue paper strip after another. He had an air of pleasant self-confidence. He glanced up briefly, nodded, wrote on three more blue paper strips, and then gathered them all up and put them in a particular place. He turned to Fitzgerald. Well, Fitzgerald showed his shield. The man behind the counter nodded again. "'My name's Fitzgerald,' grunted the detective. "'The boss?' "'Me?' said the man behind the counter. "'He was cordial. "'My name's Brink. "'You've got something to talk to me about?' "'That's the idea,' said Fitzgerald. "'A couple of questions.' "'Brink jerked his thumb toward a door. "'Come in the other office. "'Chair's there, and we can sit down. "'What's the trouble? "'A complaint of some kind?' "'He ushered Fitzgerald in before him.' the detective found himself scowling he'd have felt better with a different kind of man to ask questions of this brink looked untroubled and confident it didn't fit the situation the inner office looked equally matter-of-fact no there was a shelf with the usual books of reference on textiles and such items as a cleaner and dyer might need to have on hand but there were some others Basic principles of Psi, modern psychokinetic theories. There was a small, mostly plastic machine on another shelf. It had no obvious function. It looked as if it had some unguessable but rarely used purpose. There was dust on it. "'What's the complaint?' repeated Brink. "'Hm. A cigar?' "'No,' said Detective Sergeant Fitzgerald. "'I'll light my pipe.' He did, extracting tobacco and a pipe that was by no means a meerschaum from his pocket. He puffed and said, A guy who works for you caught himself on fire this morning. It happened on a bus. Very peculiar. Uh, The guy's name was Jacaro. Bink did not look surprised. What happened? It's kind of a strange thing, said Fitzgerald. According to the report, he's riding this bus reading his paper when all of a sudden he yells and jumps up his pants are on fire he gets em off fast and chucks them out the bus window he's blistered some but not serious and he clams up but good when the ambulance doc puts salve on him he won't say a word about what happened or how they had to call an ambulance because he couldn't go hunting a dock with no pants on but he's not badly burned asked Brink. No. Blisters, yes. Scared, yes. (laughs) And mad as hell. But he'll get along. It's too bad. We've pinched him three times on suspicion of arson, but we couldn't make it stick. Something ought to happen to make that guy stop playing with matches. Only this wasn't matches. I'm glad he's only a little bit scorched, said Brink. He considered. Did he say anything about his eyelids twitching this morning? I don't suppose he would. The detective stared. He didn't? Say, aren't you curious about how we came to catch on fire? Or what his pants smelled of that burned so urgent? Or where he expected burnin' to start instead of his pants? Brink thought it over. Then he shook his head. No, I don't think I'm curious. The detective looked at him long and hard. Okay, he said dourly. But there's something else. Day before yesterday, uh, there was a car accident opposite here, remember? I wasn't here at the time, said Brink. There's a car rolling along the street outside, said the detective. There's some hoods in it, guys who do dirty work for Big Jake Connors. I can't prove a thing, but it looks like they had ideas about this place. About thirty yards up the street, a sawed-off shotgun goes off very peculiar it sends a load of buckshot through a side window of your place brink said with an air of surprise oh that must have been what broke the window yeah said fitzgerald but the interesting thing is that the flash of the shotgun burned all the hair off the head of the guy that was doing the driving didn't scratch him just scorched his hair off it scared him silly brink, grinned faintly but he said pleasantly "Tisk tisk tisk." he jams down the accelerator and rams the telephone pole pursued fitzgerald there's four hoods in that car remember and every one of em's got a police record you could paper a house with and they've got four sawed-off shotguns and a tommy gun in the back seat they're all laid out cold when the cops arrive i was wondering about the window said Brink pensively. It puzzles you, eh? demanded the detective ironically. Could you have figured it out that they were going to shoot up your plant to scare the people who work for you so they'll quit? Did you make a guess they intended to drive you out of business like they did the guy that had this place before you? That's an interesting theory, said Brink encouragingly. Detective Fitzgerald nodded. Uh, there's one more thing, he said formidably. You got a delivery truck. You keep it in a garage back yonder. Yesterday you sent it to a garage for inspection of brakes and lights and such. Yes, said Brink. I did. It's not back yet. They were busy. They'll call me when it's ready. Fitzgerald snorted. (laughs) They'll call you when the bomb squad gets through checking it. When the guys at the garage lifted the hood, they started running. Then they hollered Copper. There was a bomb in there. Brink seemed to try to look surprised. He only looked interested. Two sticks of dynamite, the detective told him grimly. Wired up to go off when your driver turned on the ignition. He did, but it didn't. But we got a police force in this town. We know there's racketeering being practiced. We know there's crooked stuff going on. We even got mighty good ideas who's doing it but we ain't been able to get anything on anybody not yet nobody's been willing to talk so far but you the telephone rang stridently brink looked at the instrument and shrugged he answered hello no mr jacaro isn't in today he didn't come to work on the way downtown his pants caught on fire Fitzgerald guessed that the voice at the other end of the line said what in an explosive manner Frank said matter-of-factly, I said his pants caught on fire. It was probably something he was bringing here to burn the plant down with, a fire-bomb. I don't think he's to blame that it went off early. He probably started out with the worst possible intentions, but something happened. He listened and said, But he didn't, Chicken. He couldn't come to work and plant a fire-bomb to set fire to the place." i know it must be upsetting to have things like that automobile accident and my truck not blowing up and now jacaro's pants instead of my business going up in flames but i told you-he stopped and listened once he grinned wait he said after a moment he covered the transmitter and turned to fitzgerald what hospital is jacaro in fitzgerald said sourly he wasn't burned bad just blistered They lent him some pants, and he went home cussing. Thanks, said Brink. He uncovered the transmitter. He went home, he told the instrument. You can ask him about it. In a way, I'm sure it wasn't his fault. I'm quite sure his eyelids twitched when he started out. I think the men who drove the car the other day had twitching eyelids, too. You should ask— The detective heard muted noises, as if a man shouted into a transmitter somewhere. Brink said briskly, "'No, I don't see any reason to change my mind. No, I know it was luck, if you want to put it that way, but no, I wouldn't advise that. Please take my advice about when your eyelids twitches.' Fitzgerald heard the crash of the receiver hung up at some distant place. Brink rubbed his ear. He turned back. "'Hm,' he said, "'your pipe's gone out.' "'It was.' sergeant fitzgerald puffed ineffectually brink reached out his finger and tapped the bowl of the detective's pipe instantly fragrant smoke filled the detective's mouth he sputtered now where were we asked brink who was that demanded fitzgerald ferociously that was big jake connors you may be right brink told him he's never exactly given me his name "'He just calls up every so often and talks nonsense.' "'What sort of nonsense?' "'He wants to be a partner in this business,' said Brink without emotion. "'He's been saying that things will happen to it otherwise. "'I don't believe it. "'Anyhow, nothing's happened so far.' "'Detective Sergeant Fitzgerald tried at one and the same time to roar and to swallow. "'He accomplished neither. "'He put his finger in the bowl of his pipe.' He jerked it out, scorched. "'Look,' he said almost hoarsely, "'I was telling you when the phone rang, "'we got a police force here in town. "'That's what we've been trying to get. "'You come along with me to headquarters and swear to a complaint.' Brink said interestedly, "'Why?' "'That big Jake Connors,' raged the detective. "'That's why. "'Trying to threaten you and giving him a share of your business.' Trying to burn it down or blow it up when you won't. <laughs> he was just a small town crook once. He went to the big town and came back with ideas. He's using them. Brink looked at him expectantly. He started a beer business, said the detective bitterly. Simultaneous, other beer dealers started having trouble. Empty kegs smashed, trucks broke down, drivers in fights. They had to go out of business. "'What did the cops do?' asked Brink. "'They listened to their wives,' snarled Fitzgerald. "'They began to find little grab-bag packages in the mail and with the milk. "'Fancy perfume, tricky stockings, fancy underwear. "'They should have been a shame for anybody to know they had it on underneath. "'The cops weren't bribed, but their wives liked opening the door of a morning "'and finding charming little surprises.' Ah, said Brink. Then there were jute-boxes, went on the detective. He went in that business, and trouble started. People to drive up to a beer joint go in, get it in a scuffle, and bingo! The jute-box smashed. Always the jute-box. Always an out-of-town customer. Half the jute-boxes in town weren't working on an average, but the ones that were working were always Big Jake's. Presently he had the jute-box business to himself. Brink nodded somehow appreciatively. "'Then it was cabs,' said Fitzgerald. "'A lot of cops felt bad about that. "'But their wives wouldn't be happy if anything happened to dear Mr. Big Jake. Do deny that he gave anybody anything. "'So it was all right to use that lovely perfume.' cabs got holes in their radiators they got sand in their oil systems they had blowouts and leaks and brake fluid lines cops wives were afraid big jake would get caught but he didn't he started insuring cabs against that kind of accident now every cab driver pays protection money for what they call insurance or else and cops wives get up early bright-eyed to see what santa claus left with the milk you seem said brink with a grin to hint that this big jake is-well dishonest End of part one